Amen. Here in the power of Christ I stand. I like that. I would um, encourage you to pray about and bring an offering on the 25th. I mean, that will be Christmas Day. And uh, it'll be, we'll have a special time in the, in the service to bring that and present that. But if you want to give it early, you can. If you're not going to be here that day and you want to give your Lottie Moon offering, we will accept that any time. But um, we're going to have a special emphasis on that day. For many of you, you may have found a Christmas card in your bulletin. And uh, let me say just a quick word about that. We have quite a few homebound in our church body that are members of our church. They've been members of our church for quite some time. Um, we want to encourage them through the holidays. So if you would take this card and write a, a note of encouragement on there, we've included a name so that you can address it to them. If you'll put that in the, in the, the basket at, at the back on your way out, we would appreciate that. Um, you can do it today. You can bring it back next week or the following week. But we uh, want to uh, get as many of these as we can out to our homebound and let them know uh, that we appreciate them and that we encourage them through the holiday season. So I hope that you will do that as well. Um, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be talking about Mary's song. Mary's song. I love this. As we look at this passage, I, I want to point out some things to you uh, along the way. And, and I hope that we learn something about Mary and about who she is and, and the God that she serves and worships. And ultimately, the God that we worship. The one that gave his all for us. You know, the months between the announcement of Christ's birth and the actual moment of his arrival were months of hard decisions and, and anxious waiting on the part of Mary and Joseph. You can imagine what was going on in their minds. Now, during that time, as difficult as a time as it surely was, there was still a pleasure. It's still a pleasure to watch Mary and how she conducted herself. And we learn tons about who she is and what she's about. She made the journey to visit her, her cousin Elizabeth, who's also expecting a very special uh, child in John the Baptist. When Mary arrives at her cousin's house and speaks to Elizabeth, the baby in Elizabeth's womb inside leaps for joy, knowing that Mary has just arrived pregnant with the Lord. See, Elizabeth responds by telling Mary that she's blessed. She's blessed because she has believed the Lord and that God will do all that he says he will do in and through her. See, hearing this, Mary, even though she's young, even though she's unmarried, even though she is pregnant... She begins to lift her voice in praise to the Lord. And in doing this, she reveals a heart that is full of love, that is full of trust in the Lord. We recognize also that her mind is full, it is saturated with the Old Testament scriptures. She's studied, she's approved by God. You see, God's grace 
the same grace that is going to carry her through these circumstances is the grace that is going to allow her and help her to care for the Son of God as she teaches and raises him in her home. See, Mary's great song of praise has come to be known as the Magnificat. The Magnificat. And really that word means glorify. To to make larger. To expand. To cause to grow. To swell up. It literally means my soul celebrates the Lord. We talk about celebration. My soul celebrates the Lord. When was the last time your soul celebrated the Lord for what he has done? My soul celebrates the Lord. This doxology is a hymn of praise to God. See, it reminds us today that the birth of Jesus is about far more than gifts or trees, or myths, like Santa Claus, or reindeer. Reindeer are real, but Rudolph's not. Well, Tim and Teresa Rudolph are. (laughs) You know, things like Frosty. Oh, my mind goes there a lot. I have to hone it in here. Or things like the Grinch. You know, we want to make Christmas about everything else other than what it really is about. See, the Christmas season is about our relationship with the Lord. Our relationship with the Lord and learning to celebrate His glory and His goodness. I mean, does anybody in here recognize how good God has been to us? That should be cause for celebration. This is the time of year when we recognize His goodness, His his wonderful grace to us. He gave us Jesus. Praise God. I mean, that that alone right there is worthy of our praise. Our, our, our hearts should be overflowing with, with worship to Him because of what He has done through Jesus Christ. Amen. And Jesus Christ is worthy of all the praise, all the gifts, all of the things that we can possibly give Him. So this morning I want to spend just a few minutes looking at this great anthem of praise. And join Mary in her celebration of the Lord. I mean, what is it that we can learn from Mary? So if you have something to write on, maybe a bulletin. Don't write it on the greeting card, but write it on the bulletin. If you want to take some notes and learn something about Mary. Because Mary's song stresses the mercy of God. How God has been merciful to her to her countrymen, and ultimately to all of us. Let's read in Luke chapter 1. I want to begin in verse 46. 
down through 55. And God's word says this. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you speak to us today through your word. I pray, Father, that we would bring all that we are into obedience of your word. Father, that through that obedience, you would bless us. And Father, that through us, you would bless this community, this city, our state, our nation, and ultimately the world. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your great mercy. Thank you for how you have saved us through your son, Jesus. And it's in his great name that we pray. Amen. See, Mary, she was a godly, young, teenage girl. I mean, some young ladies in our society today, they may not value a reputation for purity, but for Mary, it could have meant life or death. And it certainly determined if her future was going to be good or bad. I mean, when you think about it, when you put yourself in her situation so long ago, who would believe her story? Who is going to take up for Mary when she begins to tell about Gabriel coming, about him speaking to her and telling her what is happening, and, and about the intimate relationship she had with God? Who's going to believe that? See, she's just had a close encounter with the living God. And his mercy is so great. His mercy is so great that it overwhelmed every negative that would be associated with her premarital pregnancy. That she would trust him with all of her life in a society that viewed that as the worst sin a woman could commit. See, her heart, her heart was filled with love. 
Her heart was filled with love. It was filled with trust. It was filled with worship of the living God. This leads her to sing that God's mercy, <laughs> that God's mercy is great enough and kind enough to save sinners. See, Mary confesses that she is a sinner and needs a Savior. She's overjoyed that God has provided the forgiveness of sins. What Mary thought about God, what she thought about God, bursts forth in praise for God. You see, what Mary believed about God caused such joy she had to sing about it. We see that in the New Testament. We see the Apostle Paul as he, as he writes his letters in the New Testament. He's talking in there and explaining what it means to be saved or what it means to be the church. And all of a sudden he bursts forth into song. He's excited about it. His theology is bursting forth in praise. The praise for God being so good and so gracious to us. I mean, think about the hymns that we sing at Christmas time. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. <laughs> Hark the herald angels sing. Talks about sinners being saved. Talks about a lot of things. Go tell it on the mountain. What kind of news would we be proclaiming if it wasn't the good news? That Christ has came to save sinners. See, we need to meditate on this on the Christmas season. During Christmas, we need to meditate on the fact that God's goodness, His mercy, in His goodness, His mercy, He gives us so that we can be saved. See, we do well to follow Mary's pattern of devotion. But understand something. Mary is not my Savior. Don't get those confused. In fact, this song is a celebration of the mercy of God that she receives as a sinner. She doesn't say all generations will look to me to bless them. They'll consider me blessed because what I have received from God. She never is the dispenser of blessing. She never is the dispenser of divine grace. This passage, as a matter of fact, says her soul magnifies, exalts the Lord. It's him. It's the Lord. It is God my Savior, as she says in verse 47. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary needed a Savior. She sings of the great things in verse 48 that God has, excuse me, 49, of the great things that God has done for me. Great things God has done on her behalf. She rejoices in the mercy that God has shown her. 
Listen, none of this passage supports that Mary, the notion that Mary herself ought to be the object of adoration. I mean, Mary doesn't identify herself as the object of adoration, that she is to be worshipped. She adores God. And it's tragically ironic that anyone would make her the object of adoration, to make her the object of praise. See, as I read God's word, there was an occasion over in Luke chapter 11, verse 27 and 28, where Jesus was walking and teaching and a woman among the, in the crowd hollered out, she cried out, and, and this is what she said. She said, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. And this was Jesus' response. He said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. See, the path of blessing is the path of obedience to the Word of God. The path of blessing is the path of obedience to the Word of God. That was true for Mary, and that's true for anybody, and it's true for everybody. See, her song reveals that Mary's heart and mind were saturated with the Old Testament. The Word of God. Her song is literally filled with echoes of Scripture. We see Scripture all through her song. You remember who Hannah is from 1 Samuel? Chapters 1 and 2, Hannah was the one who had prayed to God for a child and God answered that prayer wonderfully and provided her with a, a son named Samuel. The song that Mary pours, pours forth here contains numerous references to the law, to the, to the prophets, uh, to the Psalms, and it indicates that this young teenage girl knew her Old Testament. You see, it's a witness to her devotion to Almighty God. Have you ever thought that how well you knew the Scripture would be a witness to others to your devotion to God? It speaks volumes when you know God's Word. When others see that you know God's Word. Not that you're putting on a show but what I'm saying is, because of your devotion to God, it means you've spent time with the Word. His Word. It also is a great testimony to her parents and how she was raised to love the Word of God. To know it very well. It's not as if in offering her praise, she said, hang on a minute. i got to go find a concordance and i got to get these scriptures together that, so I'll know exactly what I want to say. No, it just pours forth from her heart. Matthew 12, 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, what we fill 
our heart with, when our heart is squeezed, that's what comes out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Look at verse 46. We're going to camp here for just a moment. For, for um, Verse 46, she starts out and she says, My soul exalts the Lord. There's an echo there of Psalm 32, excuse me, 34, verse 2. It says, My soul will make its boast in the Lord. And in verse 47, My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. That's echoing Isaiah 45, 21. There is no other God besides me, a righteous God, a Savior. See, what she is singing about here is Scripture that is coming from God back to God. Verse 48, he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. That echoes 1 Samuel 1.11. If you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant. The words of Hannah. But it's also reminiscent of Psalm 136.23. Who remembered us in our lowest state. For his mercy, his loving kindness is everlasting. Look at verse 48. For, he, for behold from this time on generations will count me blessed. You remember Leah in Genesis 30, verse 13? She says, happy am I, for women will call me blessed. Verse 49, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Brothers and sisters, that ought to be every one of our testimony. Amen. For the mighty one has done great things for me. I can speak about the things that God has done for me. And you can speak about the things that God has done for you. Mary is speaking about the things that God has done for her. She's echoing here. Psalm 126, verse 3. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. And in verse 49, she says, holy is his name. Directly quoting Psalm 111, verse 9. says, holy and awesome is his name. Holy and awesome is his name. See, we understand very well that she knows the Old Testament and she unfolds her familiarity with Scripture and she applies it to her own situation. No wonder she surrenders to the Lord as his servant. No wonder she trusts him to care for her through this pregnancy. She's not given birth yet. She's got months ahead yet. Notice also, though, Mary understands the history of Israel. She understands how God exercised his mighty arm. How he took care of things and how in the past he's scattered the proud. He's brought down rulers. He's brought down, he exalts the humble. He filled the hungry with good things and he sent the rich away empty handed. She understands how through the history of Israel, God has been there for Israel and helped Israel. And done so in remembrance of his mercy that he promised through his covenant with Abraham. She knows 
the history of Israel. She's not just familiar with Scripture. She's also familiar with God's covenant and what we might call covenant theology. She understands that, that it's God who has promised. She understands that it's an eternal pledge made to Abraham by which generations, the the whole earth will be blessed. So she had read and she had heard and she had meditated on Scripture. And her heart burst out into praise. Her heart was filled with God's Word. Notice this. (laughs) It wasn't trivial. Her praise was not trivial. She's not saying, oh my gosh, I don't know what to say. Her heart is pouring forth praise to God because of what he has done, because of what has happened in the past, because of his promises, because of his great name, because of who he is. And we don't even have the words to offer that kind of praise to God because we're medicated and numbed to what God has done each and every day in our life. It's not trivial. She didn't have to self-invent this and conjure it up. It just poured forth. And notice this. It wasn't self-focused. Her worship was all about him and what he has done. Let me boil this down. The crux of the matter is that Mary is worshiping God and exalting Him. So I ask the question, what is the appropriate attitude? What is the appropriate attitude of worship? First, I would say this. It's internal. Worship is internal. It must come from within. Because most of the time, we want to make worship about all of those things that are external. We want to make it about the music. Well, if we sang my favorite song, then worship was good today. Folks, if that's how you feel, you didn't worship at all. Worship is internal. It's not about the music. It's not about the song selection. It's not about the atmosphere. It's not about the distractions. Worship primarily is internal. It's an attitude of the heart. But notice also it's it's intense. I don't know why I keep popping, but that's one of the distractions that we're trying not to make it about. Worship is internal, but it's also intense. Because you see, there's a deep sense of gratitude towards the mercy and kindness that God has shown each one of us through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's internal, it's intense. Worship is also habitual. It becomes our habit. Because you see, we we desire to spend time with God. I'm going to quit walking around. I'm going to stand still right here. Yes, Lord. We desire to spend time with God 
publicly and privately. It, beco it becomes our habit. And lastly, an attitude of worship is humble. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a great fall. God hates arrogance. God hates our pride. So the right attitude for worship is a deep, heartfelt, inner spring of intense gratitude and joy over the mercy of God. And it bursts forth habitually from a humble soul that is overwhelmed by his or her sense of unworthiness. That's the attitude of worship. See, the enemy wants you to be distracted. Because I'm about to make a point that we need. It's not me? Okay, thank you. Whew. Glad it's not me. Look at verse 49. Hone in here with me. I'm almost done. Verse 49 says, For the mighty one has done great things for me. Worship starts with what God is doing in your life. Worship starts with what God is doing in your life. And that's where Mary starts her worship. It's what God is doing in my life that causes me to worship. It's what God is doing in your life that causes you to worship. What we're doing up here is corporate worship. But you see, when we worship God and what He is doing in our lives individually, and when we bring that to our public worship, God is going to do a great work. Worship starts with what God is doing in your life. See, D.L. Moody put it this way. He said, Christ sends none away empty, but those who are full of themselves. God overturns the natural order. He turns it on its head. You see, all the most powerful, all the wealthiest, all the proudest intellectuals could not withstand the purposes of God. God's torn them all down. He's given mercy to the humble. He's given mercy to the lowly, to the hungry, to the outcast, to a wandering slave people called Israel. He has exalted them. And all of this is so good. Because he does this in remembrance of what? What's the word? His mercy. He does this in remembrance of his mercy. Because God is merciful to sinners. As long as we're going to be proud and, and, and going to be self-sufficient, as long as we're going to trust in our riches, as long as we're on the throne, as long as we're trusting in our achievements and our exaltation, God is going to tear us down. Individually and as a nation. 
But when our heart is hungry and we recognize our low estate and our humble circumstances, God will lift us up. You need to understand, it's not because of who's in the White House. It's about Him and what He's doing. And we can continue to be an arrogant and proud people that think we know better than God, that we know better than God's Word, but what happens is He will continue to tear us down. Until we come to the point and we acknowledge who he is and what he has done for us. Because that's, that's where worship begins. I'm going to ask if you would bow with me for just a moment. We've seen a great example of a humble heart proclaiming the excellencies of what God has done in Mary's life. Do you have the same attitude? Do you have the same heart that Mary had? Are you in a personal relationship with Almighty God? Are you in such a position in your walk with the Lord that you can truly celebrate Him this Christmas? Is your heart open to Him? Is there a need for you to come and meet with Him on a personal basis? Is there a need for your heart maybe just to come and bow before Him and worship Him for the mighty things that He has done? It's very easy for us to come and to be challenged and to to hear a message from God's word and get up and go and leave the same way we came in. But I ask you, whatever your need might be, will you come to him and let him have his way with you? Loving Father, I thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that we as your people would worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, that we would not bring falseness to our worship, but Father, that when we come to worship you, that it would be a heart of fullness. Father, knowing your words, celebrating the great things that you have done, not giving you lip service, but Father, indeed, through our total being, worshiping you the way you desire to be worshiped. Father, truly, you have blessed us. Of all the people on the earth, you have blessed this nation. Father, we repent. Father, forgive us for where we've failed you. Father, forgive us of our sin. 
Father, forgive us when we've turned our back on you and we've called sin what is right. Father, I pray that you would help us to return to you and to return to your word. That, Father, that the path of blessing that we would recognize is obedience to your word. And, Father, that we as your people, first and foremost, would return to you. That, God, we would not sit and pretend to worship you in our heart when our, our mind and our heart are miles from where you are. God, that we would recognize that we are wretched and naked and blind and that we need you more than anything. Father, we live a sham. We say one thing, we do another. Father, we have not committed ourselves to you. We have been unfaithful to Jesus, our groom, as the bride. Father, for this I ask for our forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would give your people a heart of repentance. A heart that we would want to be right with you, God. And Father, that times of refreshing would come. Times of blessing would come. Father, that we would be your people. A people that obey and follow your word. God, let us be done with the world. Let us give our allegiance to King Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Father, guide us as we respond to you in this time. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.